And I'm going to finish the series today on promised land thinking. I'm going to finish it. I want to call this today the right stuff. The right stuff. How many of you saw the movie? That's it? Well, good. No, it was a good movie. This is the, the right stuff. What was it that the children of Israel who crossed over and conquered the promised land, what was it they possessed? They had the right stuff. What was the right stuff? Let's read 1 Corinthians 10, 11. This time I'm going to read it today out of the New King James Version, not the Living Bible, a little bit shorter. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, Paul is talking about those promised land thinkers, those promised land conquerors, and those who didn't make it. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. To whom? You. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that means you. They weren't example. They may have been examples for people, you know, 20 centuries ago, but now they're examples to us. And they were written for whose admonition? Ours. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I am praying that our church experiences the renewing of the mind, that we take on the, the positive successful, productive thinking of promised land thinkers, that you will purge out of us, Lord, Egyptian slavery thinking, take out of our minds wilderness, negative, defeatist thinking, and put in us, Lord, promised land thinking so that we can do what you've called us to do in Jesus' name. Will you just pray a brief prayer and say, Lord, speak to me and renew my mind. Amen and amen. God bless you. Tell your neighbor, perk up and listen. You need this because we're moving on. I want to remind you quickly that Wednesday nights we're teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's been a great series. One of the best, one of the best we've done. It's a great series on the Holy Spirit. And this Wednesday, I'm, I'm going to be talking about the activity of the Holy Spirit, the activity of the Holy Spirit. He's moving in the world, and we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does. He does it, uh, what He does in your heart, what He does in mine, what He's doing in the world, the activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, for five weeks, we've been exploring promised land thinking. How many of you have been a little more sensitive to wilderness thinking? Amen? When you're thinking yourself, talking yourself into the ground, or even slavery thinking, defeated, hopeless, helpless, uh, there's no hope for me, no help for me. That's, that's Egyptian thinking. That is not from God. Now, we've learned that God's chosen people inhabited three places, Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land. The offspring of Abraham flourished in Egypt, trekked through the wilderness, and finally conquered the promised land. In those three different locations, they went through two transitions, the transition from Egypt to the wilderness and from the wilderness to the promised land. And transition means change. They went through three major changes, or two major changes, Egypt to the wilderness, wilderness to the promised land. Those were major transitional events for them. Now, prior to each change, God brought into their lives, and how many of you have realized to know God is to know change? 
Prior to each change God brought into their lives, they first experienced a change in their thinking. They experienced a change in their thinking which led the way to a transition in their life. Before God can do anything in your life and mine, He's got to change our thinking. Now, I'm going to say that again. Before God can do anything in your life or mine, He's got to change our thinking. Our greatest enemy, I've come to believe, is not down there, but is between our ears. We are our own worst enemies most of the time. And, and thinking is usually the crux of the issue. We've got to change our thinking. So Paul admonishes us. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Undergo a metamorphosis in your thinking, in the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I used to hear that taught, that that described three different levels of the, word of, of the will of God. There's a good will, an acceptable will, and some people live there, and there's the perfect will. Until one day I realized, no, he's just using three adjectives to describe the same thing. The will of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Amen? Now, in Egypt, they were defeated, helpless, and hopeless until Moses gave them a vision for their future, the promised land. They thought to themselves, this is all there is, until Moses preached to them that it was not all there was, that God had a promised land for them. And when they began to believe that and grab hold of that, God brought them through transition. Now listen carefully, because he said, they are a type of you and me. Here's what I've noticed. The premium lesson that they learned in Egypt was the power of the blood to deliver. The premium lesson they learned in Egypt was the power of the blood to deliver. God said through Moses, God told them, pick out and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take hyssop and dip it in the blood. And you shall strike the lintel and the two doorposts of your house with the blood. For the Lord is going to pass through Egypt and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood, when he sees the blood, when God sees the blood, how odd, what a strange thing that Moses would say to them, what is there in blood? Ah, God was pointing down the tunnel of time to our day when the Lamb of God would give his life for the world and his blood would wash away our sin. This is why God told them way back in Genesis, there is no forgiveness without the blood. God was teaching them to apply the blood. He said when he sees the blood on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. Now, they had the doorpost. We've got our heart. When the blood is applied to our heart, when the death angel passes over, he cannot strike our life because God sees the blood. We have no, no security apart from the shedding of the blood. We have nothing to stand on but the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He is our attorney. He is our lawyer. He is our out. When God passes over, when the death angel which strikes every human being comes to strike us, though our body dies, yet it will be resurrected. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who comes to me will not die, but will live forever because of the blood. 
you notice in the story of the children of Israel in Egypt that everything had remained at an impasse for them until the introduction of the blood. Their deliverance followed the blood. Their deliverance followed the introduction of the blood. The death angel passed over. The firstborn of Egypt were all struck dead. But not one of the children of Israel died because they applied the blood. I tell you today, you will not be able to talk your way out of judgment. It won't matter what level your charisma has been, your money, your talent, your giftedness, your looks, your good works. None of these things will prevail. Only the blood applied to the doorpost of your heart. So they learned these people, there's power in the blood. After the introduction of the blood, Pharaoh said, enough. And they were delivered from the land of Egypt, the land of slavery, the land of hopelessness, helplessness, and no future at all. Now, if in Egypt they were bound to Pharaoh, and in the wilderness they were bound by an attitude, as we've seen, God got them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. In Egypt, they were bound to Pharaoh, but in the wilderness, they were bound to an attitude. They had an attitude, and the attitude is what kept them out of the promised land. The attitude, their thinking, kept them out of the land flowing with milk and honey. It was an attitude. Now, as we've seen, God successfully delivered them, but it took a whole generation for him to get Egypt out of them. You see, much of the work of the cross in our life is God's got to get the world out of us. He delivers us from the world in one fell swoop. The minute that we repent and say, Jesus, forgive me, our soul is delivered from the world. But then the Holy Ghost goes to work to get the world out of us. And how many of you can testify that's no easy task? Again, in the wilderness, the battle was waged between their ears on the battlefield of their minds where most battles take place. Wilderness thinking was typified by self-pity, self-absorption, and self-indulgence. It was all about me in the wilderness. All about me in the wilderness. Their mantra was, I want more. And the woeful wilderness wanderers dug their own untimely graves with their endless complaining, breathing their last breath in eyeshot of the promised land. Think about that, traveling for 40 years, wandering around the mountains over and over again, listening to Moses tell them, all you got to do is trust, obey, and believe God's uh, vision, God's purpose for your future. That's all you got to do. Trust, obey, and believe. Trust, obey, and believe. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. All he tried to teach them, 40 years. It still staggers my mind, and I've known about this for decades now, but it staggers my mind that they could have traversed that wilderness in two weeks if they had just trusted and obeyed and believed. But they stumbled over trusting, they complained and they murmured. They had an attitude problem, and their attitude buried them. You know, I've learned that most of life really comes down to an attitude. Most of life really does come down to an attitude. You meet people who feel like they've got the attitude that the whole world's against them. Life's not fair. They've got a two-by-four on their shoulder, not a chip, a two-by-four. You talk to them for five minutes. This is against me. That's against me. I've been born under a bad sign. God's out to get me. Nobody likes me. Nothing works for me. The, 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 uh, the cards never fall in my favor. And that, see, that's an attitude. And it may take God years to get a defeat 
defeatist, defeating, uh, self, self-defeating uh, attitude out of our minds and out of our hearts. Listen, the attitude with which you face life is everything. And these people had an attitude. But now when you come to the promised land conquerors, the second generation who instead of kicking, complaining, and rebelling, they said to Joshua these words. Doesn't sound like the wilderness people. These words, all that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. And I'll tell you, that's people who have learned their lesson. Do you hear trust in there? Do you hear obey in there? Do you hear I believe God's future for me in there? All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. That is a great statement to make to Jesus in our day. All that you command me to do, I will do. And where you command me to go, I will go. See if that's not a life-changing prayer for you. I mean, it's one thing to have fire insurance and get to heaven someday. It's another thing when you look up and say, just as I am, here I am. I give you my life. Everything you command me to do, I'm going to do it. And wherever you command me to go, I'm going to go. And just see if that doesn't change your life. That's lordship. That's the way it's meant to be. Christianity does not work until you say those words. When you say everything you tell me to do, I'm going to live life the Jesus way. And where you tell my feet to walk, I'm going to walk. Where you tell me to abide, I'm going to abide. That's where I'm going to be. And when you do that, suddenly the beauty of Christianity opens up before you. How come you never saw it before? Because you believe, but you didn't give him your life. You got to trust and obey and believe. And finally, this second generation did it. Rather than being bound to a Pharaoh or bound to an attitude, they were bound to their purpose. Scripture testifies that Joshua took all the land. He conquered all the land as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. The minute they said, I trust you, I obey you, I believe your word over my future, they marched in, they crossed the Jordan that parted just like the Red Sea. God was with them, God was upon them, God was around them. It says the hearts of all the giants melted because of them. They took Jericho, then they took Ai, and they took city after city until finally Joshua could survey the entire land of Canaan and say, I conquered everything God told us to conquer. It was second generation, promised land thinking. Now I think I'm talking to a group of people today who don't want to settle for second best or the leftovers you want. How many of you want leftovers from Thanksgiving if you never had the original meal? I don't want cold leftovers. I want to be there when Kathy brings that turkey and sets it on the table for the very first time. And the potatoes and the green beans and, and uh, oh man, I could talk about it and make all of you hungry. The leftovers, no, 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 I want to be there for the whole meal. I live one time and after that the judgment. That's why I want everything he's got for me. I want to be a promised land thinker. I want to cross over and conquer all the land God has given me to conquer. Joshua conquered all the land. As the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. Now I look at these people and I see huge differences between the Egyptian thinking, the, the wilderness thinking, and the promised land thinking. I want to isolate some of the things that made Israel successful. The lessons they learned and the actions they took that brought 
breakthrough. What was the difference between them and those who did not make it, who died in the wilderness? Well, first of all, as I've already mentioned today, they saw the power of the blood. I cannot emphasize this enough. We are living in a day in the church that the church is departing from some of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And it really deeply concerns me. I got to tell you, folks, if ever there was a time we needed strong Christian voices, national and worldwide, it is today. Because let me just be bold enough to tell you, Christianity is hugely superior to Islam, hugely superior to Buddhism, hugely superior to any other religion because it's not a religion. It is a relationship purchased by the blood of Christ. It is the salvation of your soul. We've got to get back to the blood. When it comes right down to it, we've got to learn what they learned. And that's why he pointed back there and said, learn from them as you see the end of time drawing near. What did they learn? They learned that there was power in the blood to deliver from their Egypt. Our Egypt is spiritual, not visible. It is invisible. It is bound to sin. Our Pharaoh is not a flesh and blood man. Our Pharaoh is is Satan, the enemy, the adversary of our soul. As they learn by the power of the blood, we were delivered from Egyptian bondage. We were delivered from the grip of Pharaoh. We crossed the Red Sea and entered into the promised land. We, by the blood of of the Lamb of God are delivered from sin and from the devil and we cross the sea through water baptism and come out on the other side and our promised land is heaven but until then we've got love joy peace long-suffering gentleness meekness kindness faith power in the Holy Ghost peace in the middle of a storm strength when we are weak the presence of God all around us by the power of the Holy Ghost we have been blessed through the blood And it's by nothing but the blood. It's the blood of the Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the only begotten Son. It's His blood that set us free. And we better be preaching that blood. I'm telling you, I'm ready to hear on Christian television. Can I be bold enough? I'm ready to hear some messages on the blood because it's the blood that delivers. It's the blood that saves you. It's the blood that sets you free. You will have no born-again experience until you look up and say, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and rose again from the dead on my behalf. And when you say that, the blood is applied to your heart. And when death passes over you, it will keep right on going because death cannot hold the child of God who's blood-bought. I'm concerned about a spineless, wimpy, compromising, diluted, polluted church that has lost the message that changed nations, changed cities, changed lives, and changed the world, and changed Rome and the first century believers. It was the blood, and only the blood. He sent his only begotten son to die for us, that whoever believed in him would not perish when he stretched out his hands and his feet and they hammered them to that cross 
And Jesus died, the death that he died. And that crimson blood flowed down his body and down that old wooden tree. That was the blood that saved you and me. Only the blood. That was the sacrifice that all of the Old Testament pointed to. If you want to understand the Old Testament in one picture, it's like this. Pointing down time to the moment when John the Baptist would say, Behold, the Lamb of God. He didn't say, Behold the great teacher. He didn't say, Behold the great leader. He said, Behold the Lamb who came to die and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. Our conscience could be set free. The Holy Ghost could come into our hearts and we would be redeemed. We got to preach it, church. We got to preach it, church. We've got to get back to that. This is not just another religion. You don't have 20 possibilities out there, and you can just pick whichever one suits your fancy. Uh uh-uh. uh. Go ahead and ask Cain, who said, Well, as for me, I'm a vegetarian. And there goes my glasses. I'm doomed to not have them today. <laughs> Cain said, I'm a vegetarian, so I'll do it my way. And he offered to God the fruit of the field. But Abel understood, no, 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 no. He's looking for the blood. He's looking for the blood. He wants the blood. He's trying to teach us all the way back here in the dawn of time that forgiveness is going to come by the blood. And so he brought an offering, an animal offering, of where blood was shed. And it says God accepted it. It didn't have anything to do with God being having a favorite. It didn't, it didn't mean God loved Abel more than Cain. It meant that Cain understood that God was looking for the shed blood because God was testifying from Genesis all the way to Matthew that it was going to be by the shedding of blood that we were forgiven. And he said to Cain, if you would give the same kind of offering, would not I smile upon you as well? You can't do it your way. You can't do it your way. You got to come his way. But oh, what a beautiful way that it is. The blood unlocks the door. The blood opens the gates. The blood releases the power of God upon your life. The blood is the undoing of the devil. The blood washes you from all guilt. The blood puts his righteousness upon you. The blood takes your sin and removes it from you as far as the east is from the west, which is infinitely far away from you. The blood takes you to heaven. The blood takes you out of hell. The blood lifts hopelessness and despair and defeat off of your life. The blood is what Satan hates. And that's why I like preaching the blood. And so they were a people of the blood. Wow, when we applied the blood to the doorpost, our deliverance came. And the second lesson they learned, and I see this about these people, and this is one of the things that got them into the promised land. They were open to change. They were open to change. I've never stepped forward in God's purpose for me, never, that I did not have to embrace change. Now, I know we like our lazy boys. Matter of fact, most of you today will be kicked back and won at about 3 (laughs) o'clock. For raw momentum. And you'll be in your 
house and you'll have your food and your family and everything will be just so. And we really do not like change. But I got to tell you, these children of Israel would never have gone from Egypt to the wilderness or the wilderness to the promised land unless they had been willing to embrace change. For me, following God has always meant change in surroundings, or at least often change in surroundings, changes in people, change in sources of provision. Following God has always required me to trust Him because change was coming, and change brings a certain insecurity in us. We don't like it. We avoid it at really at all costs. The children of Israel begged for change in Egypt. They resisted change in the wilderness, but they embraced change in the promised land. Change. They embraced change. For instance, God's method of providing for them changed with every transition. In Egypt, their source of provision was Pharaoh in the context of slavery. In the wilderness, their provision was supernatural in the context of faith. God put the manna down there every morning. But in the promised land, their provision was by labor in the context of sowing and reaping. Every time they stepped forward in God's will, there was change. Joshua 5.12 tells us, the manna ceased after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. They ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. The minute that God gave them another source, the manna ceased. Not only that, but, 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 well, let me just, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Listen to this now. We learn from them, and I want you to catch this, that while God has promised to provide, his methods may change. And we've got to be open to whatever source God wants to use to provide for our needs. See, we're not cleaving to a job or a place, but we're cleaving to a person who is our source. And he may choose, as he did with these people, in the context of slavery, he provided for them. In the wilderness, in the context of faith, he provided for them. But then in the context of labor, he provided for them. Every time there was a change, the method of God's provision changed. Israel learned, Israel learned to flex and flow with the changes he brought. They were flexible. They were not petrified. They were flexible. While God himself does not change, his methods do. The way he did it yesterday is likely not the way he'll do it today. And we need to learn that as a church. That's why there are denominations. God moved somewhere in the background, somewhere in history. God made some great move. He moved in some powerful way, the Great Awakening or whatever. And we built monuments and denominations to those moves. And we insist that he does it that way for all of eternity. But he does not necessarily do it that way. Study the way that Jesus did anything. He healed one blind man by touching his eyes. He healed another one by spitting in the dirt, making mud and sticking the mud in his eyes. He did it, healed another blind man by just spitting in his eyes. He never did anything the same so that we would not nail him down to a method because his methods change. Is anybody hearing me today? His methods change. So we need to be a people of promised land thinking that whatever God decides to do in whatever way he decides to do it, we flex and we flow. If you can't fight and you can't flee, flow. I like that. That's a book. 
If you can't fight and you can't flee, just flow. Uh, you know, Kathy and I have had a busy week. We were out every single night this week, Christmas stuff. And, you know, I said, you know, I can either fight this, I can either try to flee from it somehow or another, or I can just flow. And when you just say, I'm just going to flow, I'm in God's hands, I'm just going to flow. And when you just kind of relax and just flow, when God does something in a way you didn't think he was going to do it, you just flex and you flow. You're open to what the creativity of God. He is ever creative. His nature never changes, but he changes us. Each time he brought change to them, each time it was inconveniencing, it was discomforting, and it was a bit unnerving because it was usually a step into the unknown. See, we like the known. We like the, some of you sit in the same chair every week. It's got your name on it. There's nothing wrong with that. But I got a whole row of Methodists right here in the second service. They sit in the same row and in the same chair. We like continuity. We don't like change. I was thinking, I wonder what would happen if I seated somebody else in their coveted chairs or anybody else's coveted chairs. Would there be a fight in the house of God? <laughs> now, I'm the same way. I don't like change. But you see, these people flexed. And they allowed themselves to be inconvenienced and they allowed themselves to be discomforted because that's what the will of God so often requires. And it's unnerving. It's a little bit spooky to follow God when you're really walking in lordship. It's, un, it's unnerving because it's into the unknown often. Joshua told the people to follow the Ark of the Covenant carefully across the Jordan. And he said this to them, here's why. Because you have never passed this way before. This was unknown, uncharted territory. They had never done this before. This was a first. And so here they come up to the Jordan, and just like the Red Sea, suddenly God caused the whole thing to dry up, and they crossed over on dry land. And he said, you keep your eye peeled on that ark, which was a picture of Jesus Christ, the ark of the covenant. Keep your eye peeled on it and stay right close behind it because you've never passed this way before. When you're walking with the Lord in lordship and he's leading you to do certain things, you've got to keep your eyes peeled on him because you've never passed this way before. There's going to be some situations you've never passed before, you've never experienced before. Am I talking to people here today who know that the Lord does not always tell you what he's going to do ahead of time? Suddenly he's got surprises and, he, and he'll surprise you. Surprise! You thought I was going to do it here? I did it there. You thought I was going to use him? I'm using him. You thought I was going to do it with this method? I'm going to do it with a brand new method. Surprise! We say, I'm keeping my eye on the ark because I've never passed this way before. To be alive is to change, and change always precedes progress. Life is always at some turning point, some moment of decision that calls for change. Wise change always opens larger doors and it always enriches fulfillment. In Egypt, the only guidance they had was the Abrahamic covenant passed down through their ancestors. That's the only guidance they had. Their provider had been Pharaoh and their land had been Egypt. Then Moses appeared, followed by their deliverance. With deliverance came change in method of provision, manna instead of Pharaoh. Change in leaders, not Pharaoh, but Moses. Change in land, not Egypt, but the wilderness. And an unprecedented form of guidance, not a story passed down through ancestors that they would be a great nation, but a cloud by day and fire by night.
we're not used to this. We're not used to this. Then their season of promotion came. After 40 years of only knowing the cloud by day, fire by night, Moses, manna, their season of promotion arrived and everything changed. Their leader changed from Moses to Joshua, from guidance. Their guidance changed from the cloud and the fire to just going by the word of the Lord through Joshua. Their land changed from the wilderness to Canaan. Their provision changed from manna to farming. If they had been diehard loyalists to a method, person, or place, they'd have died where they were. I'm just trying to get us ready for some change. Some of you have gotten used to this building. Some of you have gotten used to this area. I'm telling you, you're about to be a little bit inconvenienced. (laughs) And some of you say, well, you know, they're going 10 miles further than I'm used to driving. Hey, a church alive is worth the drive. (laughs) get a little bit inconvenienced hey God is a God of inconvenience but he's a God of great blessing so promised land people were people of action people of the bigger picture people of courage people of the blood and people who embraced change and that's how they were able that was the right stuff. Are you a person of action? Do you take the land? Are you driven by the bigger picture? Is it more about him than you? Are you courageous? Are you a person of the blood? You know that's why you're here, the blood. Are you somebody who can embrace change? We're about to corporately And individually, we're going to walk into some change. And we've never been that way before. But it's going to be good. Land flowing with milk and honey. Big grapes. Big giants. Bigger they are, harder they fall. Huge harvest. Amen. And it's worth it. So I got my eye peeled on the ark of the new covenant. Amen. And I'm going to step on a cross and I'm going to walk in. Can you stand with me today? Hmm. Well, do I have any promised land thinkers? Amen. Your bones can bleach white back there in that wilderness. But that's not what you were born for. That's not your destiny. Father, I thank you where you're taking us as a church. I thank you for preparing us to step over. I thank you that we are people of the blood of the Lamb of God. We are people of the bigger picture. And Lord, we are people of courage. And we will be. When we've got to have it, we'll exercise it. And we're people who will embrace change that God brings. And we thank you, Lord, for the blessing that awaits us. Now I want you, while your heads are bowed, 
I want you to say, Lord, if there's any area of my life that you've been wanting to bring change and I've been wanting to fight or flee, help me to embrace the change. If God's been wanting you to take action, any of these five things that comprise the right stuff these people had, courage, anything. I want you to say, Lord, help me to receive that and move in that so that I can take what you've got for me, conquer it, experience it. In Jesus' name. You take a minute to pray while Steve plays and sings and leads us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Really concentrate. Let the Lord speak to you. Mm.